0: Well, hopefully that's exactly what we're aiming for. There's nothing greater than to see his glory and to experience his glory. And we're going to probably talk about how we can have that happen in our lives this morning. But uh, there was this man, he was a successful businessman, and a banquet was being held in his honor because he was one of the city's leading citizens. And he came up to the podium and uh, he said, Friends and neighbors, when I came 30 years ago, I walked into your town with only the clothes on my back, the shoes on my feet, and all of my earthly possessions were wrapped up in a red bandana tied to a stick which I carried over my shoulders. Today I am the chairman of the board of the largest bank in the city. And I own hotels, apartment buildings, and office buildings. And I am on numerous boards of the leading clubs in this city. Yes, folks, this city, your city, has been very good to me. And then he got down off the podium, and there was a thunderous applause for him. And after the banquet, a young man came up to him, a young man who kind of wanted to make it in life and was impressed with the successful businessman. And he, he said, Do you mind if I ask you a question? And the businessman said, No problem. He said, Sir, What I'm wondering is, can you tell me what you had wrapped in that red bandana when you walked into town 30 years ago? And the successful businessman thought for a moment, he said, yeah, I think it was uh, $500,000 in cash and $900,000 in government bonds. (laughs) Not exactly a self-made man, huh? Well, this morning we're going to continue our study of the book of Proverbs, and we're going to talk about success. What is success? How do you label success? What does success look like for you? Lord, I just thank you for the worship that's already transpired. It is awesome just to be in your presence. And Lord, oh, that we would really want to see your glory, but it doesn't just happen. And I pray that we'll see this morning and we'll take it serious that there's nothing greater. And to be in your presence and your glory. But it doesn't just happen by osmosis or accident. And so I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. That I would truly speak your words. I ask, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. That you would even manifest yourself in a more powerful way. For where you're present, there's humility. There's a softness of heart. There's a willingness to want to hear truth and what your word has to say. And I believe your word is going to be powerful this morning. The text is powerful, Lord. And, And so I pray that we ready ourselves for it. And I just ask for this in your precious name. Amen. So the obvious question is, what do you consider a blessed life? Have you thought about that question? Have you just considered that question? What is a successful life truly? What is a blessed life? Uh, You know, biblically speaking, a blessed life, a successful life, is having the right priority, the right priority in your life and in my life. Some years ago, there was a time management expert. He was speaking to college students, and uh, he gave them this illustration. It's an illustration, I'm sure, that most of them never forgot. And he was kind of standing, you you know, you're the students, and and he was here, and and there was just kind of this table on top. And on top of the table, there was this one-gallon, large mouth jar. And uh, he, uh, you know, said, I want to demonstrate something to you. And so he reached underneath the table, and he pulled out some rocks about the size of my fist, and he began to put those rocks into the gallon jar, and he put one in, then he put another one in, then he put another one, he got about to six of them, and it was, you know, to the top, and then he asked the students, is this jar full? And all the students cried out in unison, yes, the jar is full, and he said, really? And then he reached underneath, and he pulled out some gravel, and he poured the gravel into the gallon wide mouth jar. And you know, he shook it, and the gravel fell in between the empty spaces of the large you know, rocks. And then after he did that, he said to the students, now is the jar full? And one student said, probably not. And he reached underneath again, and he pulled out another kind of a pitcher, jar, and this time it, it had uh, sand And he took the sand and he poured it into the gallon jar, the large mouth gallon jar, and he shook it. And this time the sand fell in the empty places between the rocks and the gravel. And then he said to the students, now is the jar full? And the students cried out in unison, no, no, it's not full. And he goes, very good, now you're getting it. And he reached underneath the counter and he pulled out a pitcher of water and he poured the pitcher of water into the jar all the way to the top. And after he did that, he then said to the students, can anyone tell me what is the point of this illustration? And one student was very eager you know, to prove himself. said, I, I, know, I, I know what the point of this illustration is. And the time management expert said, sir, go ahead, what is the point of the illustration? And the, the uh, young student, he goes, what I learned from this illustration is no matter how busy you are, no matter how crammed your schedule is, you can always fit in one or two more things. Of course, the time management expert said, Ding, thanks for playing. But you know, isn't that typical of us? Isn't that how we are as Americans? We're, you know, I, I constantly hear, I'm busy, I'm just so busy. And then the next thing I hear is, you've crammed another thing into your schedule, right? You fit another thing into your schedule. No, and we wonder why we're tired, we're frustrated, and we're just burned out. And the interesting thing is the time management expert said, actually, that's not the point of the illustration. He said, the point of the illustration is this. If you don't fit the big rocks in first, you will never be able to fit them in. If you don't fit in the big rocks first, you will never be able to fit them in at all. So let me ask you this question. What are the big rocks in your life? What are the big rocks in your life? You know, most of us might say something like this. We'll say, you know, God, church, we want to be spiritual, right? So we'll say God in church, and we might go relationships and family, and then we might say profession or job, then we might say leisure time or free time, we might say health, and, and some of us might say leisure. In fact, it might look something like this. Skip, can you put it up? This is kind of a pie chart, and uh, uh, actually, this has a name to it. Anybody know what this is called? This is called the balanced life, Right? This is the balanced life. This is, this is your life. This is my life. This is kind of, you know, the, 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 the holy grail of the average American. And the holy grail of the average American is, how can I get these compartments in my life? And how can I get them so that, you know, my life is in balance? Right? That's what we're trying to do, balance these things. Now, I have kind of a, you know, a news flash for you. Did you know that the balanced life is not biblical? There is not one iota of scripture that says, thou shall have a balanced life. Check it out. Read it. There's not one scripture that says, thou shall have a balanced life. Now, what I'd like to do is give you the biblical balanced life, all right? And the biblical balanced life is actually in the text for this morning. It's in Proverbs chapter three and verses five and six. Hopefully you've memorized these verses. But this is really the biblical balanced life. Here it goes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, the priority of life. The priority, the balanced life is trusting in the Lord. Did you know that? In fact, I'm going to tell you, if you want a successful life from a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, from an eternal perspective, then you have to have the ability, you have to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You know, we're in the book of Proverbs and we're talking about wisdom. Now, I've been gone. For a couple of weeks. So I just want to run a little test by you right now. What is wisdom? I'm doing a great. Awesome. What? Fear of the Lord. All right, I'm getting some answers. That's true. Wisdom comes from fear of the Lord. True wisdom, biblical wisdom now. The result is you're able to make good decisions. OK, so if someone really has wisdom, they're able to define themselves in a situation and you're able to make a good decision. And what now don't miss what Solomon's saying here. He's saying that the ability to make good decisions, truly good decisions is based upon how much you're trusting in God, how much I am trusting in God. You ever thought about that? You know, most of us haven't. So, you know, we're going to delineate this thing in a moment about what it means to trust in the Lord. But I just want to talk about trust just for a moment. You know, most of us have heard the phrase, in God we trust. Anybody heard that phrase? You know, it's interesting. Pull out your wallets for a moment. See, you're a little skeptical, aren't you? We're not going to dig another offering. We are a little short. No, no, I'm just kidding. I, I got a $20 bill here. And if you know, if you look at the back of a twenty-dollar bill, or you pull out a dollar bill, you pull out a quarter, you'll see on the back, "In God We Trust." Anybody know how that phrase got on there? See, I was kind of curious myself. So, in my boredom, I looked it up. You just Google it. No, okay. And uh, actually, this phrase comes from. Um, as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. As the Civil War was raging, Skip, can you put up the picture? The Civil War was a brutal war. It's amazing, over a half million men and women died in that war. And I'll tell you, it was really weighing in on the country. Uh, it was tearing the country apart. Lincoln certainly didn't think he would be reelected. And at that point, he went to the Congress, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, And he asked Congress to put in the phrase, in God we trust, on our currency. It started in 1864, the currency began to have, in God we trust. And you know what the hope was? The hope was this. As you and I would exchange the currency, it would be a visible lesson to us, as we look at that, that what we're really trusting in it's not the army, it's not money, it's not the President of the United States, but what we're really trusting is God. The only one who's going to get us through this incredible national tragedy is God. And that's where the phrase, in God we trust, comes from. You know, and I, as I was thinking about that illustration, isn't it a shame that it takes a tragedy Know that it takes a disaster. Have you ever thought about that? It takes, it takes a disaster. It takes a terrible tragedy in our lives to just strip us of our pride and our arrogance and our self-sufficiency. So that we finally just get to a point, like the, like the video showed, that we just begin to look up and say, God's all I got. God is all I got. That's kind of a a picture of what we're looking at. So no doubt you're wondering, though, practically, if trusting in God is everything, what does that mean practically? You asking that question? Glad you are. Two things, Solomon tells us this morning. To trust in God, practically speaking, two things are involved. First of all, negatively, Skip, can you put up Proverbs 3, 5? He says this, to trust in the Lord with all of my heart, with everything that I have, which is for you also, is do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on what you think is the right thing to do in a particular situation. You know, I've been a Christian almost 38 years. And I have found that truly mature Christians all have one thing in common. You know what that is? Truly mature Christians all have one thing in common. You know what it is? (laughs) <laughs> trusting God. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. They've come to a point in their life where they don't trust themselves. Truly mature people in Christ have come to a point in their life that they no longer Trust themselves, And you know, as I have looked out at the American public, as I have looked out at the average American trait, Christian, it's a rare, rare trait. It is a rare person I have seen that actually has come to the point in their life where they no longer trust in themselves. And let me tell you, if you don't have that trait, quite often you can have catastrophic results in your life. You know, some years ago, there was an article published. It was entitled, 178 Seconds to live. And what the article was about is these 20 pilots. Now, these 20 pilots were fairly seasoned pilots uh, with vision, but none of them had actual instrument training. And they were put into a flight simulator, and they were told this. They were told, do everything you can to keep the plane under control, and at all costs, do not let the plane crash. I mean, that seems simple enough, doesn't it? You know, keep the plane under control and do whatever you can to keep the plane from crashing. And so, you know, at first, for the first several seconds, all of the pilots did just swimmingly, to change the metaphor. And then all of a sudden, about seven, eight, nine, 10 seconds into it, all of a sudden clouds began to appear and it began to get very thick and it began to get very stormy. And the article reported that within 178 seconds, every one of these pilots had crashed and killed themselves, every single one. You know, some years later, after the article was published, this deadly game actually played itself out in real life. There was a a young pilot. He was a fairly seasoned pilot. He actually had some instrument training. And one night, he decided to fly, like I said, at night. And he trusted in his own understanding, in his own senses. And in the process of doing that, he not only killed himself, he killed his wife and he killed his wife's sister. And you say, who are you talking about? I'm talking about John F. Kennedy Jr. Skip, can you put that picture up? Now, what a, tra- what a terrible tragedy. You know, it, it, it's, it's a very interesting story because they want to know what in the world happened. It actually was a clear night. Did you know that? The night he was flying, it was a very, very clear night. And, you know, they began to surmise what happened. Here's what they came to. They came to realize that what he got disoriented... And it's easy to turn upside down, I guess. He became completely disoriented and began to trust in his own understanding, in his own senses, rather than in the absolute of his flight instruments. And in the process, he crashed the plane into the ocean. You know, and as I thought about that, there are so many people right now, so many people, and I pray you're not one of them, their lives are crashing And they're burning simply because they're just leaning on their own understanding. They're leaning on the world's understanding. And let me tell you, it's an improper understanding. And in the process, they're making really bad decisions. And their lives are crashing and their lives are burning. All right, then Solomon tells us, Positively, that to trust in the Lord, first of all, is not to lean on your own understanding. That's the negative. The positive is, he says, in all of your ways, not some of your ways, in all of your ways, in every situation that you find yourself, that I find myself, he says that we are to acknowledge him. That we are to acknowledge him. We are to seek His will. In every single situation. And you know, this requires perhaps the greatest or most difficult act of the human will. Do you know what the most difficult act of the human will is? Guys, it's just like tongues. All right. We either need interpretation here. Submission. Submission. Close. Close. Giving up control of our lives. Do you know the most difficult thing? You know, I I mean, I've been in this business now 30 years. The most difficult thing for every one of us to do is to give up the control of our lives. And to be perfectly honest, I have virtually seen almost no one do it. In fact, that is the great struggle that I have. That is my greatest battle. And by the way, you may not believe it, but it truly is your greatest battle. You know, far too many Christians are what I call Ray Kroc variety Christians. You know who Ray Kroc is? Skip, put up the picture. You might remember Ray Kroc. Most of us know Ray Kroc as the founder of McDonald's. That actually is not true. He's not the founder of McDonald's. His name is Ray Kroc. It's not called Crocs. It's actually called McDonald's. Did you know McDonald's was actually started by two brothers in California... And they were named McDonald's, hence the name, McDonald's. And Ray Kroc, through sleight of hand and some legal maneuvering, was able to steal it from the McDonald's brother. And he actually said he was the founder. He actually did. He said he was the founder of McDonald's. That's not true. But that's a whole other message, so we're not going to talk about that. But here is what is interesting. Ray Kroc was one day being interviewed by reporters, a reporter. And a reporter asked him, Ray, what do you believe in? And listen to what he said. Kroc said this. He said, I believe in God, I believe in family, and I believe in McDonald's. And then he said, when I go to work, I reverse that order. Isn't that interesting? One individual called Ray Kroc a soulless man. Ray Kroc was an alcoholic. He was a philanderer. He finally divorced his first wife. He marries another woman whom he stole from an in-quote friend. Can you believe that? He was unethical. And other than that, he was a pretty good guy. Now, now what blows my mind about Ray Kroc, though, know, get this, he is viewed as an icon, an American icon of success. Wow, this is an icon for success. This is somebody we're supposed to emulate. Are you kidding me? See, what do you think? He's dead now. Can you imagine that moment when he stood before God? Do you think he viewed himself as a success then? See, Ray Kroc was like Ray Frank Sinatra, and I did it my way. Right? So many of us, that's exactly what we're doing. See, we're convenient Christians. You know what the great sin of Ray Kroc was? Ray Kroc believed in God. No, he did. Didn't deny God. He believed in God. He even went to church. He gave some money. But in the end, Ray Kroc, when he left the building, did it his way. He lived it his way. And he stood before God, a fool. Not a success, but a fool. Because he wasted his life on its own puny success that in the end meant absolutely nothing. You see, trusting in God means I have to let go. Trusting in God means you have to let go. And the best illustration I know of this and I was thinking about this, Is how can I illustrate, how can I make you feel this thing? And I came up with two tra- trapeze artists. Skip, can you put up the picture? You know, there you have two trapeze artists. There, right there on the left you have the catcher, and there on the right you have what's known as the flyer. Now, you know, most of us think if you've gone to Barnum & Bailey Circus or whatever, you think that the flyer, you know, is the star of the show, Right? You know, they're the ones that are doing the spectacular. The reality, though, is if you do this thing, the real star of the show is the catcher. You see, the flyer really doesn't have to do anything. The flyer just swings out, might do a somersault or two, but in the end of the day, all they got to do is do this. And the catcher needs to catch them and bring them home to safety. Got that? The catcher, all all the pressure, by the way, is on the catcher, not on the flyer. In fact, you know what the greatest mistake the flyer does? Tries to catch the catcher. And by the way, if the flyer tries to catch the catcher, bad things happen. Quite often the wrists get broken. That's true. And if there's no net underneath, you know what happens? They die. They tumble to their death. So, I mean, this is serious business. So imagine for a moment that you're the flyer. I wish I could do this here. It'd be really interesting to see this, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, it'd just be great. You know? I mean, we're we're going to get a real illustration here of trust. And so imagine for a moment that you are the flyer, and all of a sudden you're pushed off you know, the, 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 the podium, and you, there you are, you're hanging on, and what is your job? What is your biggest job? Once you're out there, let go, baby. And what is your flesh saying? No way, Jose. Not going to happen. And if you don't let go, what happens? You swing back and forth. Back and forth. You have the illusion of movement, which you're not going anywhere. By the way, that's most of the world. They have the, they have the illusion of movement. They're boom, boom, boom. They really think they're doing but They're not going anywhere. They're just going back and forth. And not only that, they're hanging on in their own strength and they're getting tired. And they're getting burned out. That's where most people are. They refuse to let go. See, the bar equals self-will. I am going to lean on my own understanding and don't tell me to do anything different. And in the end, you go nowhere. You see, here's the choice you got to make right now. Oh, you got to make it. I got to make it. Am I going to let go? And, and that re- means you got to die. Oh, no, no. You, to let go, you got to die. You got to die to anything you because you've lost control. And guess what? You got to do. You have to trust that God's going to catch you. No, no. You got to trust. This, 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 this is it. This is Christianity. And he's going to catch you and he's going to bring you home to safety. Now let me challenge you. Do you want to live? No, no. Do you want to live? Are you sick and tired of a mediocre life? Back and forth. Back and forth. And you're tired. You're hanging on. Well, see, then you got to let go. There is no other choice. You have to let go. But you know, so many of us are negotiator types. The negotiator Christian. You know what the negotiator Christian is? Well, you know, um, you always can tell a negotiator Christian, I'll trust the Lord if I get certain outcomes. I'll surrender to God. I'll let go if I get certain outcomes. That is pseudo surrender. No, no, that is pseudo letting go. You always know it's pseudo when you say, well, and I love these people, God bless them. I trusted in God, but he didn't give me a marriage partner. He didn't work. I trusted in God, but he didn't give me the job that I wanted. He didn't work. See, that is pseudo surrender. That's not letting go. Do you understand? I got to let go. I got to let go in all my ways, Frank. Frank, in all your ways, you must acknowledge me. Have, people automatically assume they should get married, have babies. It's a good thing. But how many people really said, Lord, do you want me to be married? By the way, did you know that singleness is elevated in the New Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But you know what? We don't like that one. So you know what you do if you don't like 1 Corinthians chapter 7? You just take your Bible, hack that baby right out of there, and awesome. Then you don't have to worry about it. Somebody was worried I was actually going to do that. (laughs) College students or high school students that graduate go to college. It's not a bad thing, but don't assume that it's just automatically the right thing to do. See, how many people say, Lord, is that that what you have for my life? Do you realize that it says in the book of Revelation, he says to the true church, the church of Philadelphia, he opens doors and he closes doors. He has the key of David. He's a really good God. Too many of us, though, see, we're not letting go. We're going to barge those doors open, whether he opens them or not. And bad things happen. See, in all my ways to acknowledge it means every situation I find myself in, I say, Lord, what do you really want? What do you want? No, I mean, you've let go. It's, you know, it's cathartic. It's freeing. And you know what happens when you truly do that? Look what it says. Look how it ends up, Proverbs verse 6, 3, 6. It says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, every single way, every single situation, Frank, acknowledge, seek to have your will bend to his will, not try to get God and manipulate him to bend to your will. And look what it says. And He will show you the path to take. Right decision. See, He'll give you the right decision. That's wisdom. He'll give you the right decision. You believe it? Wow, that was strong. That was powerful. Do you believe it? I'm tell you, God loves us. God's a good God. But we have to trust. It's our job. We have to trust. You have to make that decision. I have to make that decision. Lord, I pray we'll take this word seriously. Don't know how it could be more practical than that. And I know you're I know you're working, Holy Spirit. I know you're moving. And I ask if, if no one, if there's anyone here that hasn't surrendered right now, now is the time, now is the moment, now is the day of salvation, now is the day of deliverance. Even as the song is playing, if you feel so led, just come forward and just kneel, I, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I trust you. Have your way now, Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non denominational, Bible based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our Statement of Faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church, You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.